Hey everyone, you're listening to the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel. I'm a high school educator, challenge seeker, lifelong learner, and embracer of all things messy. I find inspiration from individuals who are passionate about learning and embracing change. Join me as I share my experiences and interview people who will inspire you to embrace the messy too. Let's go. I'm finding the stress teachers are under disheartening right now because I'm trying to lead assessment reform and while I stand by the idea that we need to question traditional practices and implement better and more equitable and inclusive ones, I'm in a tough position suggesting to educators who are already on the verge of leaving or burnout that they should please spend more time learning about assessment reform. Telling educators they need to overhaul their traditional practices or work smarter, not harder, is like trying to tell someone who has their lid flipped to calm down. I think the best I can expect teachers to give right now is to take the time to listen and rethink assessment reform and set tangible interim goals. No one needs to overhaul their practice right this second. Some are ready, and for those who are not, maybe rethinking is your best first step. Why do I bring this up? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I having such a difficult time pushing right now? Because I think teachers are being pulled in too many directions right now. The plate, people, is full. It's an all-you-can-eat, at just one sitting kind of situation, and it's so full, that plate, that teachers are collapsing under its weight, literally and figuratively. The only advice I can think of is to give teachers is to start saying no to more things and to clear a bit off their plate and take time for themselves while they're in a simmering pot before they boil over and need to go on a leave. Martyrdom is in educators' DNA. Many teachers teach because of the extra things they get to do. They love the teaching, but they love that teaching allows them to do the other stuff. As a card-carrying yes person, I get it. Why do teachers have a hard time saying no anyways? Now, if you are a teacher who already knows how to say no, please email me with your secret sauce recipe so I can market it, help you market it for those who cannot because from where I'm sitting, it seems to be part of our hardwiring. Does it go back to a time when it was dog eat dog to get a job in this field? We did extra to get a job, including martyr ourselves because teaching and being good at teaching wasn't enough to land a permanent contract or any contract for that once upon a time. I don't know if that's really changed. When I talk to new teachers, they are so overwhelmed with their new contracts. And when they get asked to take on something new, they feel paralyzed with fear that if they don't, they'll look arrogant. And if they do, they'll look so put together. Is this the established norm those of us who have been teaching for decades have laid as the precedent for new teachers? Feeling a little guilty about that. Now, I'm, I'm getting better at saying no. But I would say it was only about 15 years ago, about 11 years into my teaching, that I finally said a profound no for the first time. I remember my administrator at the time asked me to take on a couple of blocks that would have meant so much new learning and extra time. I thought that because I was asked, I had to say yes, but then I thought about all this extra time and how that might mean I wouldn't then have the energy or the time to put into doing like a big show with my drama classes, which I just started doing in recent years at that time. And for the first time I said no. And I told my admin that, you know, If I took on a new job like this, it would be at the expense of drama classes and I wouldn't be able to do a big show. I felt like I was kind of warning them. If I have to do these blocks, we're not going to get to do a show. And I felt so sick about saying no. I also felt a little confident, but I also didn't know if it was going to work and it did. But it took that long for me to finally say no. And let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that the only way to get through this storm of unnecessary extra stuff is our problem alone. 
But I do recognize that while we wait for the powers that be to put through initiatives that have our best interests at heart, we need to make moves ourselves, right? We have to rethink what we do at the end of a semester and, and figure out how can we organize our schedules so that we're not so burdened and overwhelmed at the end of a semester. You know, maybe we should rethink whether we need to actually give a final exam. Maybe we can think about some kind of big project or, or essay that we've normally done at the end of the year. And maybe we need to move things just a little bit further into the semester and still provide that powerful learning, powerful learning opportunities, but that gives us a little bit more time that we can breathe into some of this stuff and help us, you know, it's like reorganizing the plate a little bit. If things don't move off the plate, maybe we can reorganize the plate a little bit, right? And again, it's really hard when we're really stuck in our ways, especially if we've been teaching courses for a really long time. It's really hard for us to change the way we've done something because it feels like it's not broken. Why do we need to fix it? But I think we really do need to rethink. I think that's within our power. Otherwise, we might be waiting a long time. And at what cost? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. Anik Roke is the author of Phenomenal Teacher. Pursue your dreams and still be your best self at work and at home. She is a passionate grade one French immersion teacher who began her teaching career in 2009. She was chosen as an inaugural educator to open a Cole Sage Creek School where she continues to teach today. She prides herself on developing relationships with students in order to create a classroom community where everyone encourages, supports, and challenges one another. Outside of school, Anik is a very busy mom. She and her husband, Chris, have four energetic boys. And I got to tell you, this is just a beautiful conversation in which Anik and I talk about all so much about being vulnerable, about connection, about trauma, about being hockey moms, and it really touched my heart and my soul. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anik. And Nick Roke, welcome to the Embrace the Messy podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to have connected with you. So special. I think we are somewhat cut from the same cloth. It's been a while since, like, I get really excited when I read books. But reading your book, Phenomenal, which I know is it's hard to say, but I've been practicing. <laughs> I connected so much I I I was moved I I just I feel like this is a really important book that somebody wrote like I think you crawled inside my brain and some parts and wrote it on all of these teacher moms behalf I think it's such an important and timely book and I feel so grateful. Like I'm literally like yell it out loud, shout it from the rooftops. I want to send one to all of my teacher mom friends. I want to send a copy and I'm just, I'm hugely, hugely grateful that you wrote this book. Thank you so, so much. Well, if that's not the most beautiful message I've ever heard, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, it's I, I'm that is the goal, right? The whole reason mm. I wanted to share this and write this is because when I was blogging, it was these types of vulnerable blog posts that would connect with people, and they were not feeling quite so alone, and were saying me too, and so I just mm -hmm. knew that this is what I needed to do, and it, it just confirms that. 
I made the right decision and I'm so glad that you found value in it. So thank you for sharing all those wonderful things. It's it's that female mom energy. Um, I am a former hockey mom. I am a teacher. I My kids are older, like my kids are like 19 and 23. And it's just all of the things that you are going through. Anyway, I connected and I know we're going to dig into all of that um, so much. So I'm super, super excited. And just so our listeners know, and Nick and I just met like five minutes ago. So I'm a little yeah. fangirling and it's <laughs> literally been a whirlwind because I only really sort of air quote met you via another podcaster's interview with you. And I immediately was enticed and I bought the book. And anyway, we will dig into all of that. So I am before we and before we do, I just I'm really fascinated by origin stories and I'm just getting to know you as well as listeners are getting to know you. So I'd just like to know what's your story like? Where are you from? How did you get into education and what's your role now? So I am from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, both Canadian. Yay. Um, and you know what? My story is I struggled quite a bit as a student, um, especially in reading and writing. And I felt down a lot of the time. I didn't feel like I was very smart. And I had several teachers who really made a world of a difference for me, specifically my grade two teacher, Madame Reynolds. And I just knew that I needed to do for others what she did for me. I knew that was my calling. And so here I am now. I'm currently teaching grade one French immersion, and I have been for over 10 years now. That's awesome. It's it, Isn't it amazing how our connections with teachers, like it, we think about the journey, right? Sometimes, you know, interviewing other guests, sometimes it's a connection through post-secondary when teachers take, or it's a, it's a connection in elementary school or in high school, and it just takes sometimes just that one person to yeah. feel like you're seen, right? And it sticks with and, you. Like this was and, in, from grade two for me. Right. Grade two. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, you know, I think about, like, I've been writing these segments at the start of, of my, my interviews um, before they go to air. And it's been forcing me to really think about all the teachers who had an impact on me. And now you've mentioned grade two. And so now I'm all of a sudden I'm starting to percolate and think about like my grade one teacher because I I have been kind of focusing on on my high school teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so that led you into. So what enticed you? You 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 said you blog. Yes. Right. And yes. that led to writing this book. How did that come about? So, oh, it's kind of a long story, but okay, you the, you the you do you. The short version is that there was a new school opening up, and I desperately wanted to prove that I deserved a spot at this innovative new school. And right around the time when they were starting to talk about this, uh, George Kuros had the Innovators Mindset massive open online course. We called it the iMOOC, and through that, he invited his participants to start blogging. And so I did, and I didn't know where that was going to lead. At that point, I had already my four kids, but they were like young, young, like my twins were babies. I was just coming back from mm -hmm, that leave with mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. And I started blogging and I just kept going. And eventually I set the goal of having one post per week. And when I was looking back on all the stuff that was being more widely shared and that people were commenting on and resonating with, it was my personal kind of vulnerable posts that people especially moms who are teachers were saying like yes. oh me too me too and mm -hmm. uh yeah that's just kind of how it all started so really the blog kind of gave me the confidence to kind of put all these things together that I had been writing and try to make it into a valuable piece that other moms and teachers could benefit from mm. I think that's really really powerful I'm a blogger as well and it's it's such a vulnerable act to put yourself out there and because you know that you know there are people who are out there ready to judge you and you know I think it's important I love how you're focusing on the positive stuff right like I love how um, that's what is amplifying your voice and keeping you going in 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 on this personal journey of yours 
Yeah. Right. And it's not to yeah. say there aren't hard moments. It's just that oh, sure. you do. Yeah. You do need <laughs> to find the positive to get through it. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, so early in your book, you, you write self-care is not a distinctive recipe that everyone can follow. It is, it is incredibly personal. And you also talk about how it needs to be done, you know, really consistently. And, and I know one of the things you value is teaching. I really resonate with that because it's, I, I love my job. You know, we lose sleep over other kids, other parents, children, you know, that kind of thing. And it fires you up. But how do you manage the expectations that society holds for us uh, women, mom, teachers, where, you know, the mom stuff is always supposed to be more important than the teacher stuff. Like, how do you, how do you manage that kind of that critique without me going into like the Barbie rant? Yeah. Like, you've seen the Barbie movie. <laughs> I have, sure have. Like, yeah. I keep playing it over in my head, yeah. right? Like yeah. what we are as women. So, yeah. but how do you manage that? How do you do that? So I love this question because it really takes us to the central message of my book. And so we are not defined or confined by any particular role. So mm -hmm. you are more than a teacher. You are more than a mom. And you deserve to pursue your dreams. And I don't, like I wrote this book specifically for women teachers. And it's not to say that men won't get anything out of it. They absolutely can because a lot of the strategies and lessons in there are for everyone. But I just feel like men don't feel this in the same way that we do. They, more often than not, once they've started their family, they can continue to climb up their career. They continue to follow their dreams and passions. They continue to play beer league hockey and go golfing with their friends. And women, not so much. It's not to say that we don't. It's just a little bit harder. And um, self, as to go back to being to self-care, it is very, very personal. And so for me, and it sounds like for you too, working fills me up. But it doesn't mean that it has the same effect on everyone. So some people that look at me think like, oh, geez, like, why are you like, like tonight, for instance, it's 8pm here, and I'm back at school to record a podcast with you. And some people may think like, why? What is wrong with you? Why don't you go, like go spend time with your kids? I did like I they went to hockey, I tucked the two younger ones in before coming. So I had my mom time. But for me coming back here and doing this, it fires me up. It makes me mm -hmm. excited. It's what I want to do. And um, so working partly is part of my self-care routine because it is such a joyous thing that I like to do. Sometimes mm -hmm. though it varies. Sometimes I need to have, I like to have a warm bath or sometimes I just like to veg on the couch. Sometimes often I like to go for runs or go to yoga or spa days when I can carve out enough time or girls trips. Um, but it's just to say that self-care is incredibly personal. So you need to find what works for you and then do that regardless of what other people think. It's this idea that it's aligned to our values. Yes. It's like we need to sit down and actually think about what are the things that we value. And it's what it's what it's what's connected to the values. You know, this reminds me of so I told you my son is like 23. When I had my son, you know, first time mom, completely overwhelmed, and he was a relatively good baby. But after about you know, four months, I became very, very sad. And I was very, I was emotionally wrought and I wasn't sure what was going on. And my husband, bless his heart, just didn't understand what's going on in my brain. I went to the doctor and the first thing they wanted to do is throw medication at me. Mm -hmm. You probably have postpartum depression. And I know that for some women that is very, very real. And, but I was quite taken aback by it. And I remember going home and taking the antidepressants and sticking them on the table. And it, it kind of shocked my husband. I think it kind of was a bit of a wake-up call for him. He realized, okay, okay, now I, I realize how serious that re this really is. But let's, within a couple of weeks, there was also some job postings. I mean, mm -hmm. my son, if I had taken a job, he would have only been about five months old, you know, mm -hmm. when I could have taken more time off. Well, guess what happened? I ended up deciding to apply for a job the moment I got the job. And this was a halftime contract that I wasn't even, you know, 
certified to really teach. It was like foods and I'm an English okay. and drama teacher. Something mm-hmm. just lifted. Mm-hmm. I needed to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And the mom guilt then was real because I'm, I'm supposed <sighs> to want to be at home with this baby who right. I love. I love, 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 love. But it was different. I mean, on the bright side, I got to go back to the doctor and give him back his medication, um, you know, the, on the bright side, because I feel very fortunate that I was able to find my own way. But, you know, right. I just loved it so much. It was just a halftime job. I just, I needed to go back to work. When yeah. I had my daughter, I didn't feel that way so much. I was, you know, had to go back to work when she was only nine, 10 months old. And I was crying that I had to go back to work. You know, yeah. it was just where I was emotionally trying to figure out I hate to use the word balance, but trying to kind of, you know, oh my God, there's just so much going on. Yeah. Does that that resonate with you? And and I feel like maybe also like maybe after you had your oldest, you felt like you maybe lost your way, lost some of your purpose. I don't know how to do this. I'm a new time mom. This is all new. I am good at teaching. I know that for a fact. And so just confirming that maybe you're on the right track and filling yourself up at the same time was what you needed, which is great. Mm-hmm. The mom guilt is real, though. And I, I like what you I appreciate what you said about with regards to men, because, you know, bless their hearts. Mm-hmm. But this is we live in a society that looks at men in different ways. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, they're the ones that still tend to be considered you know, the primary um, bread the breadwinner of the family. Mm-hmm. And if they are then the breadwinner, when they go and play beer league hockey, they need that break. It's okay. Yeah. Mom's at home with the kids, right? Yeah. And it's frowned upon when we decide we want to do something for ourselves. I know I've been viewed that way from family and friends, and it's taken a long time for them to really see that, you know, if I didn't do this job to the extent that I'm doing it, it even just even start this podcast, if I didn't do that, you know, <laughs> my fire, my the flame would go out. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it just like, it's not to say that everybody is the same, because I consider myself truly incredibly lucky. My husband is mm. the most amazing father. I signed his book and I said he was fedadinal, um, because he really oh, is. That's awesome. He, he, he works shorter hours because he's a letter carrier, Canada Post. So he works shorter hours and therefore is home earlier and makes dinner every night and he does the Christmas shopping and he does all of these things that I, that is not typical when you look at gender uh, stereotypical roles. Um, But, but still, when you look in normally, when you look and you compare, well, when I go out of town, here is a long list of things that need to get done and all the scheduling and stuff that needs to get done. But then when my friend's husband leaves it's like okay see ya yeah bye Bye. have a good time yeah Yeah. Yeah. so (laughs) setting reminders on his phone for Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. you know I I I feel I feel that way too I like it sounds to me that you have the same relationship that I do with my husband it reminds me of um Brene Brown talking about this idea of marriage balance is not 50 50 no, it, it's yes. just no, 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 no. Because mm-hmm. it, it's more of a day to day thing, right? Where she will walk in and she will look at her husband and be like, I'm running low. All I've got is about 20. Mm-hmm. And and he will turn around and go, I had, you know, I'm good. I got energy. I got the other 80. I got you. What do you yeah. need? Yeah. And if they don't, if it doesn't equal out to the 100%, then they have to sit down and figure out, okay, what needs, what has to happen here in order for us to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's, that's the parenting. That's, that's the way it should be. Right. right. There are going to yeah. be days where I, I, I can't give, you know, my, my 50%, but there are mm-hmm. some days where I can give more than that when I know that he needs it. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I completely agree. And I love that Brenny Brown. I saw that. I think I oh. maybe saw it in one of her TED Talks or something. And I just, oh, Hallelujah. Yeah, so good. It's going around Instagram. Yeah. I think people are getting sick of me sharing it. But I think <laughs> it's, <laughs> speaking of um, other authors that I, I can see that you are a Glennon Doyle fan. Oh, love oh. Glennon Doyle. <laughs> Untamed. Yeah. And I know I, I'm, I'm just 
Yeah. Um, do you listen, do you listen to a podcast? Uh, you know what? I'm not a huge podcast listener, but I okay. have listened to a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's really, really great. I love you quote in chapter three, and I don't expect you to have memorized your book, or anything, <laughs> right? You know, women you, in particular were brought up to believe that being selfless is the Holy grail and that's it. It's what it, we should always be striving for always. And this is, part of our taming if we're not being selfless we are being selfish now add to that teaching which includes all these expectations right including like i said before losing sleep over other people's children how do we get out of that trap and develop a self-care stamina you know we can try to shut down those voices that are you know telling us that we're being selfish what do we yeah. do so those are examples are exactly why I wrote this book. We need to push back and pri prioritize our mental health. Mm -hmm. And I always think that it's helpful to think, and I know this goes around, everybody says it, but you really can't pour from an empty cup. We need to remember that we want what's best for kids. We want what's best for students. But if we aren't at our best, it affects them. And that's not good for them. So to give them our best, we have to be our best. And to be our best, we have to prioritize our mental health. Mm -hmm. So reminding ourselves of this often might just be what we need to help us take better care of ourselves. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Oh, it's I like hard. I'm I it's, keep ooh. I, I fall down a slippery slope and I'm like, what? Let me pick up my book. What did I say again? Because I forget. Yeah. How do I do yeah. this again? <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, I think that's I think that's great that you can you can look back at what you wrote, right? Because we, it, you're right, it, it's it's so hard. So, you know, two years ago, I was diagnosed with depression, mm -hmm. and that was the, a journey to seek the help that I thought I needed. Mm -hmm. You know, when there's this i had this <laughs> aptitude to just want to make excuses mm -hmm. plus you know shame is real there's yeah. that that stigma well i'm not as bad as somebody else i see what they're doing going through is a lot worse mm -hmm. they're the ones who are going to need help mm -hmm. right and it actually ended up being one of the most powerful liberating things i ever did which is why I'm, I'm I'm okay in sharing it here on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Getting mm -hmm. put on antidepressants was actually incredibly empowering, mm -hmm. right? And helped me actually manage all the little controlly things that were interfering with me living life to my fullest potential. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd even have the podcast, right? Yeah. Or as much as I did with the blogging, had I actually not gone on that journey, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's how I feel with mine too. And I write about this in the book as well is just like, we need to stop comparing because just because somebody else has it worse than you, it doesn't mean that you're, what you're going through isn't valid and hard. Like mm -hmm. when I was going through my depression, I had the same thing before, like I ended up taking a leave and I went off work for several months. And all I can think of was, well, it's like, it's not like, I'm, I'm, I'm really not thinking about killing myself. So like, yeah. it's, it can't, it's, it must not be that bad. Right. And, and my therapist, who did she rip into me when I said things like that? But, and I, and then I was concerned about, well, what am I going to leave to my team? How much am I going to add on to their plate? But really, once I got settled and stepped away from work, it was the best thing I ever did because it gave me the time and the space and the energy that I needed to start putting the pieces back together. I needed a solid two weeks of antidepressants and to sit on my couch and sleep. And that mm -hmm. was like strict orders from my doctor saying, you need to rest because what will follow, you will need your energy for. Like if you want to get back on your feet you're going to have a lot of work to do and you can't, you're not in the right frame of mind to do that work right now because you are just so depleted. Mm -hmm. I, and, and there's so many other things that, that come up. Like when I was put on my antidepressants, I thought it was just 
to curb the sadness. Mm-hmm. And then I realized all these other things, like the fact that, you know, you might, the comparison stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The ruminating over things, right? The perfectionism, oh, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff seemed to kind of simmer down. Like all those little voices mm-hmm. seemed to kind of settle down. And then I actually found myself being able to be more productive yeah, and think clearly, mm-hmm. right? And now if when I call my doctor, it's like, um, you're not planning on taking me off of them yet, are you? <laughs> I, I'm doing really well. I mean, I get that someday, but right. not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. For right now, I think they're great. And 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 even when I first started them, it was like, why didn't I do this a long time ago? But then right. but you can't focus on that. It's like, no, no I did it now, right? Yeah. Yes. I did it, right? Yep. Yeah, you know all these teachers who become martyrs, and they they say, "Well, I just have to hang in there." I go, "There's like only two weeks until the mm-hmm. holiday break, or until the summer holidays, right?" Mm-hmm. You know, and then and they're the ones, you know, who are also they'll retire with 350 banked sick days. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna retire with five <laughs> like <laughs> that's right? the goal <laughs> yeah. yeah right well I mean you know but it's because sometimes you need that time to take care of yourself right because yep. again yeah you're right like you can't pour from an empty cup mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's something that I learned too um it's we like we have sick days for a reason and I've learned to take those mental health days because I can't pour from empty cup and I feel myself getting short or not running out of patience or just not being as energized as I normally am in the school in while I'm teaching things. And I just know like, Oh, I think it's time. I just need to take a breather so that I can come back tomorrow and be my best self for these kids. I'm glad the culture has changed too, with regards to, you know, who's running the show. Cause I remember, I think my early days of teaching, if I needed a day just to recover, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, have to lie and say, Mm. you know, we're sick for another reason in order to get that day. But the culture is changing books like yours, other, you know, this, I, you know, things are, it's information about the impact of our mental health on, on teaching and learning and our own physical and mental well-being is all coming to light where it's like, nope, you're sick. Good. That's your word. You're doing you, you know, Mm -hmm. You know, we're well, we're workhorses think... teachers, right? We oh. don't we don't want to create sub plans, but if we're willing to to do that, then you know, just let it go. For sure, there is a reason, and I feel like there's still a long way that we need to go in terms of mental health, but we have come such a far way. And I think that there was a lot. If you want to try to find the positive, which I'm always all about, through mm-hmm. the pandemic, that is definitely something. You know, mental health was brought forward, and we talked about mm-hmm. how hard it was, and we shared our realities with others, and we started talking about the importance of taking mental health days and all of that. So, you know, it's it was a starting point, and we just have to keep sharing and um, taking what the time that we need to to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. How do we? I don't know if you can answer this question or not. How do we foster that mindset with new teachers coming coming up who are, you know, certifiable workhorses? You yeah. can I can see it already happening, you know. Um, how do we instill in that? Like what's what do we do? Because I don't I want think... it to take as long as it took me to figure yeah. out when I needed days. Yeah. Well, right? and I think like I, I can only speak from my experiences but from what I'm noticing and seeing is things are changing because we are more open and willing to share our stories we are more vulnerable we are more honest with our colleagues you know like when I started my career I would I would never dare tell somebody even my close colleagues like hey um Thursday next week I'm planning a mental health day or, you know, like I would, I would come back to school the next day and like, pretend to be all coffee, like I was actually right. physically sick. Whereas now, like, I'm not going announcing it to the world when I'm taking a mental health day, but I'm not hiding it, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I think that maybe it's also just the fear of abusing it, 
but mm -hmm. that's that's a whole other can of worms but I like yeah. I feel like that's just something that if if you do not feel like you are abusing it and you're really using it because you need it then that should never be an issue mm -hmm. yeah because you know one day might support a teacher light their fire so that they can cope for the next five to 10 to 15 right yeah instead remember, of having to take more time off in the future exactly and I remember this was I think this was when George Kuros came and spoke to our staff before we opened up our school um, and he had said something along the lines of as an administrator would you rather your teacher come in for five days and be so done that they're giving like 50 percent on all five days or would you rather they take one day let's say they take the monday and then they come back and give a hundred percent for the rest of the four days like to me that was like oh well when you put it this way it's a no-brainer of course admin would want you to take the day to get back on your feet so yeah. that you can do the rest of the week properly yeah instead of just trying to grind it out mm -hmm. right grinding yeah. it out you know reading your book you know i can see like you're you're so open and it your book is so vulnerable and i was quite moved uh when you talk about the loss of your twins mm -hmm. and and that journey and i'm wondering if you would mind sharing sharing that journey with us for sure cuz that came with a very important lesson, one that ties in nicely to what we've been discussing. Um, and so just to clarify, I miscarried twins between my oldest two. And nice. then I got pregnant after those two with twins again a second time. And those ones I carried to term. And so I now have four boys. So I was right pregnant with two sets of twins, but lost the first ones. So the story, it was it was Christmas time and we were on winter break and it was a wild time in our lives. My husband and I were building a new house that wasn't quite ready yet. So we moved in with my brother-in-law in his one bedroom condo and we still, we had one already. So it was me, my husband, our son, my husband's brother and his girlfriend at the time, all living in a one bedroom condo. And so no privacy. And one night um, I started bleeding and to make a long story short, I went to the hospital only to find out that I wasn't miscarrying. And they told me, you're not miscarrying. You're actually pregnant with twins and you are just earlier on in your pregnancy that you thought. And this is probably implantation bleeding. And so we were ecstatic, went back home all excited and there was a problem. The bleeding didn't stop and it kept getting heavier. So a few days later, we found ourselves back at emergency and that's when they confirmed that I had miscarried. So that was a really hard week. Um, we had just put under the Christmas tree little vouchers to our families to redeem for a new grandchild or niece or nephew. So just announced to the family that we were expecting and then found out that we were blessed with two instead of one and then find out that we lost both of them. So this all happened during the winter break. I found myself sitting in my principal's office on the Monday morning on the first day back. And I was just distraught because I thought, I said, Mark, I should be sitting here telling you that I'm pregnant. But instead, I'm here saying that I need time off because I just lost two babies. And, um, you know, teachers, what we do. So I went to the library and I planned for subs. Yeah plan for the week and um <clears throat> it was hard because I felt super guilty because I had just been off for two weeks so I hadn't seen my students and I felt really bad that I wasn't going to be there to welcome them back after the break and get back into routine and hit the ground running in January and um it just weighed me down like I knew I needed time to heal emotionally physically there was nothing wrong with me but I also felt really torn because I felt like I was letting my students down and abandoning them. And a huge aha moment, because when I finally did go back to work, what did I find? My students were happy as could be going around, just learning. They missed me, of course, but like they were fine. They were mm -hmm. they were so fine. And that was like, oh, my. Why? Why do you do this to yourself? 
Mm-hmm. You are worthy of taking rest. And like you just went through a lot. And so you need to let go of that guilt because when you need time for yourself, it's okay. That moment in time was just like a minuscule part of their life and really didn't have any Mm -hmm. impact on them. But like when I think back of that moment in my life, like I'm still getting choked up talking about it today. And it was like so difficult. And I was worried about my kids at school, right? Like it's, it just doesn't make sense. I did the right thing. And when I came back to work, I realized even more so how important it is to take that time for you because really to them that was nothing but to me it was an important moment in my life that and I needed that time and I would venture to say that even if you know they'd had say a tough time with say whoever was subbing right Mm -hmm. they would be welcoming you back like young great mm-hmm. and then they they're they're extra good and they feel right they feel so that that joy right yeah yeah and what an opportunity I know I had you know just recently had to take you know four days off and and talking with my students afterwards so it didn't go very smoothly with the subs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but it's like what can we what can we learn from this mm-hmm. and I've actually stopped saying one of the things I've you know, I go back after I'm being away. I'm so sorry I was away, but I got COVID or I'm right. so sorry. I'm like, why am I apologizing? Right. These are my students. I had yeah. to deal with my stuff. Yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I, I landed face first into a wall. Yeah. I guess I'm klutzy oh, and I gave myself a concussion. The first two things I thought, one of the first two things I thought of were, you know, oh my God, do I have to wake up my husband? He's sleeping. Not that he would have minded. Right. Mm-hmm, Number two. Mm-hmm. Do I have a proper day plan? Right. That's teacher like, life. That's where our, that's that's our teacher brain. Yeah. Like, and I'm going, what is wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I just go to, I think I need to go to the hospital. I just right. concussed myself. Right. Right. Such important lessons. And yeah. you know, from from all of it. And and like I said, I think that story is so powerful because it's it's going to resonate with so many educators on on the level like I talk about about missing students and worrying about them and feeling like you know apologizing and that kind of thing but it's also going to resonate with you know all of the deeper stuff that we have going on right mm-hmm. whether it's you know it's 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 pregnancy loss it's you know health issues going on, you know, with aging parents, mm-hmm. all these other kinds of things that sometimes we need time to care for ourselves. Well, and it goes back to my point about you are more than a teacher. Mm-hmm. There is so much more to you than a teacher. And it is okay. Actually, you should. Like, you need to be more than that. So you need to look at what is happening in the rest of your life and you need to prioritize that stuff too. Mm-hmm. It's exacerbated. I know, I, I don't know what it's like in, in Manitoba, but we've got like a massive teacher shortage in BC. So we have a lot of uncertified subs and, mm-hmm. you know, bless their heart. They're doing the best they can, but they're coming in cold where it Mm -hmm. becomes, you know, when we're away for a few days, it winds up being, you know, putting on a movie or or something Mm -hmm. like that and and not a lot of learning because they might not have any kind of a background. And, you know, like I said, I teach English and drama Mm -hmm. and 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 it's tough, right, where that, you know, the battle is real, right? Mm -hmm. Do I take that day knowing that my kids aren't going to learn something? You know what? Mm -hmm. It's not going to hurt them to watch a couple movies in a week I mean yeah yeah, it might take a little bit to kind of bounce back a little Mm -hmm. bit you know and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing I think there are ways in which we can prepare for those kinds of situations too right yeah to be kind of thinking about what can I have already made when I do have the time and then I don't have the stress yeah because how many of us too when we take our sick days we spend and then we named another day. So we spent two or three hours of the one sick day to prepare for the next day for a sub. Yeah, I know. It's wild. It's it's really wild. And when you come to it, you're like, well, I'm a little bit sick, but 
I'd rather come in and teach through the sickness than try to come up with a lesson plan for my sub for tomorrow. So Mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I hear you. And I, we started doing as my, my little team, we have a sub binder, it's called an emergency sub binder. And what I will do if I need to, I just leave my um, schedule for the sub and say, uh, fill in this little block with anything you want in the sub binder, <laughs> pick Yeah. an activity, have fun. Yeah. Because yeah, it sometimes it's just too much. Mhm. And really, for what, like you said, if it's If you're going to be gone for weeks at a time, okay, then maybe it's more important. But if it's just a day here and there, sometimes you just need to let go and say it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Let them have a little fun with it. But I love that idea of a teacher binder. It's all the things that I keep meaning to do, Mm hmm. you know, I know. <laughs> and it's like, you've inspired me. And I, I'm going to, you know, and I'm and I'm going to share it and then I'm going to write about it and then I'm going to put it at the front of one of these. Maybe this one, maybe <clears throat> it'll be what I write about by the time that this this lands in the new year. So, Love. you know, we've talked a lot about our colleagues, mental health. Right. And so I am this assessment geek. Right. Um. especially the more progressive assessment practices and things like that. And that's a real, that's a shift in mindset, right? To move towards things like standards-based grading and all that kind of thing away from traditional grading and that kind of thing. So I really worry about educators already spreading themselves thin. Yeah. And yet there I am over in the corner with my megaphone going... Okay, folks, it's time to radically change your assessment practices so Yeah. that it's equitable and culturally responsible and inclusive. And I'm not so naive as to say to these educators, it's not more work. Mhm. It, it's different work. Okay, that's BS. Mm okay. It is more work <laughs> to start yeah. with. Come Right. on. If you want any kind of radical, radical change, right, it Right. is going to be more work to start. Right. Okay, so... What do I do then? I want them like, because it's so important. And, I, and that's the kind of thing that fires me up, man. Yeah. Like you want to, Yep. you know, I, I'll burn the midnight oil and make proficiency scales. That's because that's how I roll. I, I, I love talking about it. Yeah. Right. So as a change maker, how can I try to get educators to maybe to shift and, 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 and balance the idea of change without it becoming toxic? Yeah. and toying with their mental health. What do you think? So I have two trains of thoughts on it. The first one is something that I feel has benefited me a lot, um, which is to build your community. So I am so blessed. I have the most amazing same grade team here at my school. Um, but I know that it's not the case for probably most educators. Um, and So it's important to find your people and so to build your community. And sometimes that's connections through social media. Like I'm lucky to have it in my school, but I'm also lucky to have it through social media. And PLN. yeah, exactly. PLN, PLF, family, whatever you want to call it um, through Twitter or X or Instagram or threads now or Facebook, however you want to do it. You just need to find your people that get you and that, when you are fired up and want to talk something through, they get it and, and it's reciprocal. They're, they're jumping in with you. They're giving you the, um, maybe they're giving you the courage to try something new because they're right there with you. And if it flops and they'll talk it through with you or they've tried it. So you're wanting to try it. Um, and then what I feel that that does is that, and so this is the second thing I was going to say, and it's not my idea. Dave Burgess talks about it. And I think it's his, Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's build your snow or a snowball effect or something. I'm sorry, Dave, that I'm butchering it. But basically, I think that how he says it is, you don't make a huge snowball by grabbing all the snow and packing it together. So if you are super passionate about whatever it may be, and you might be assessment, you would start by picking up one handful of snow and you would pack it together and you would put it on the ground and you would start rolling it. And as you're rolling it, other people are noticing and the people that are intrigued and 
maybe want to know a little bit more will gravitate towards you. And eventually what's going to happen is your snowball is going to get huge and other people will have no choice but to notice. Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe that is the best approach instead of like trying to force people to to yeah. jump on board, yeah. get the people who are interested and who are mm -hmm. wanting to learn more and then start from there. And eventually it'll catch on. Yeah. And just to to piggyback off of what you said, you know, one of the things that I've learned the hard way, you know, because I can get up on my soapbox and the people out there listening who know me are going to giggle when they hear me say that. They know I can get up on my soapbox and I've done that in my blogging and I've done that live and in color kind of thing. It's also to appreciate the small changes, right? Because right. change is hard. Like we talk about change and acceptance of mental health and taking days off and other changes too. It needs to fall in line. So if I'm going to sit here and on this podcast and talk about how take baby steps to acknowledge and take care of your mental health, but please radical assessment change tomorrow. Yeah. Like right. that doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm a hypocrite, right? Mm -hmm. It's about applauding the the small changes right and yeah. and i love the idea again you know it kind of comes back to this the sharing of the stories about how things work and how small changes can have a big impact so sharing and sharing and sharing in order to you know start that little snowball yeah i love snowball. i love that metaphor that's, you'll have to maybe you'll have to have metaphor. Dave. Yeah, you'll have to have Dave on one of these days, and he'll do a Ooh. much better job at explaining it. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I think I think you did a great job, and I and I love that advice. I think, yeah, that's that's just awesome. So, coming back to your book, phenomenal, mm -hmm. and and again, I just love that title, phenomenal. I feel Thank phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> no, phenomenal. See, okay, yeah, there's a bit of a tongue it's twister, fine. right? Yeah, but it's fine, but it's good. And you know, I think you also set a really you set some really great examples for students, you set examples for colleagues. You know, take time, set goals, give yourself credit, measure your wins against yourself and not others, you know, focus on the positive. Does it ever feel like though that sometimes you're, you know, I guess veering your ship towards being your own champion trying to be phenomenal and mm -hmm. and does that ever feel like it's a bit of a burden or like my duty to now yeah. be phenomenal, phenomenal so I don't know like I feel like I am truly just real and authentic like what yeah. you see is what you get yeah and of course it's hard and it's always going to be hard even this year super super challenging moments where I didn't even know if I would make it through and like I oh, literally me, me too literally oh, just wrote this book and it just like just published and as I'm going through the roller coaster of release and all the podcasts and I was just feeling so overwhelmed and I was like oh my what did I sign up for and so I will continue to fall that's just inevitable and I don't have it all figured out. And I write in the book, like I, this is just what I've learned so far. And other people have a wonderful lessons that I hope to learn from them. And I will continue to learn as I keep crashing and falling, but I'll keep getting back up. And if I need help to get back up, I will lean on others and I will find supports and I will go back on, on antidepressants. If I need to, I will reach out to my, I'm still going to therapy. I'm a firm believer in therapy, therapy every uh -huh. six weeks for me regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's hard, but it's always going to be hard. It's never mm -hmm. going to be easy. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, but you know, <laughs> I think we need to get like a line of custom shirts. I don't have it all figured out and I like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or and, and that's no, okay. I don't I have it all figured out, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay, right? Like, yeah, because you know, I, I've heard this from other authors, right? They'll write a book, and sometimes readership kind of views it as, you know, oh, they wrote this book, they have it all figured out. They don't realize the journey to actually write the book, mm -hmm. and that the journey continues, mm -hmm. right? It's not that you're an expert at it, right? Yes. Now, where and I think we need to we're experts as at being messy and then you know 
embracing the messy, right? Which is the title of the podcast, right? Just hanging in there. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because speaking to um, some of my friends who are authors and talking about the process and the nerves around your book coming out and stuff and some of them sharing how when their book was released, there was a lot of anxiety around it. And for me, of course, there was anxiety around it. But the way that I saw it was, so I wrote this book based on things that I have learned. And so if somebody picks it up and says, well, that's wrong, I'm going to say, well, it can't possibly be wrong because it's mine. Like it's my experience. It's what I learned. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. It could, but nobody can pick up this book and tell me, well, you're wrong. So for me, that eased my mind a lot because there's like, you can challenge this all you want, but it's, if it's, if it does nothing for you, it's because it wasn't meant for you. And Uh, yes, that it wasn't meant for you. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's like whatever we read, right? If, if mm-hmm. we don't get it, we don't like it. It wasn't meant for you, right? Mm-hmm. You can still appreciate it. Yeah. But maybe it just wasn't meant for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wasn't meant for you. That's so good. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm going to try and read this without crying. Okay. 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 It's at the end of your book. The end okay. of your book. Okay. Because like I said, I, I'm a very joyful person i'm very upbeat person but i was really like i said i was just really moved by like how wholehearted you were and so at the end of the book you write you are a mother you are an educator you are a woman you are strong capable and worthy you are not defined by your circumstances you deserve to chase after your wildest dreams you will strive to the greatest heights. And I, for one, cannot wait to see where you go. Get after it, phenomenal teacher. Yeah. Oh. Yay. <laughs> oh. Yay. It makes me all gooey. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it it is like it's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna print that out. I'm gonna make a big poster and put it on my in my room. Yeah. I think you should start like I just mark it that thing i'm gonna start it there we go i'm starting it okay um mugs t-shirts everything words you know we need to remind ourselves that we can do hard things to quote to quote gonna doyle again there we go right (laughs) so we are worthy so what's what's next for you Anik? So this question, to be honest, overwhelms me. I know. I was going to say, especially after I know you're just talking about how I just released the book. So probably sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, and my life is so busy. So sometimes it's hard to think of anything but the present moment. Like we always joke about this. My husband is like, or or my my parents are like, okay, what's going on this weekend for hockey? I'm like, this weekend? I'm on today. Like, yeah. ask me what's going on in an hour. That's what I'm figuring out. S- students who, you know, say, I'm yeah. leaving December 14th. Yeah. What do I need? Okay, talk to me about the 12th, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? Oh, so yeah. what's next for you is tomorrow. What's next for me is, well, bedtime after this. But yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Um, no, but otherwise, I'm speaking at Bite, which is a conference in Portage La Prairie in Manitoba in February. So I'm quite excited about that. This will be my first time presenting as an author and on my phenomenal teacher message. Um, I'll, I'll likely be running another half marathon in the months to come. I'm signing up for a relay with some of my friends and I'll just keep falling and learning and getting back up. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Right. I think, yeah, you stay and, and whatever you do, you will be phenomenal. And right? so will you. Yeah. Woohoo. I love that. Okay. So to wrap up, are you ready for elevator pitch? I'm ready. Okay. Woohoo. So end of my podcast. This is the scenario. It's and it's geared just for you, but the premise is the same right? An educator gets on the elevator, you're on floor number three, they press six, and they reveal something to you and you need to respond. So I have for here for you. So they press six, let out a big sigh, and they look at you and say, and this is a a mom, a teacher mom. Mm -hmm. And they say, I am just not enough. 
what would you say to them as the elevator goes up? Oh, deep breath. Yeah. I would say, hey, I have been there. I think all mothers and teachers have. You're feeling like this because you care so very much. And just the fact that you care means that you are more than enough. In fact, you are amazing. Don't let anyone, especially not yourself, make you believe anything else. You are changing lives and you deserve to be celebrated. How can I help? Do you want to talk? Can I give you a hug? Mm. Oh. Well, I hope that this podcast connects on a, a level that it's connected with me. And I just want to celebrate you because mm -hmm. the book is wonderful. It it's, it's touching and I am, I feel so grateful to have had you here on the podcast and we go off on our little tangents and have this conversation. And again, we're both being vulnerable and we're celebrating each other as phenomenal people. Right. Yes. Right. Phenomenal women. Mm -hmm. And more of that needs to happen. Right. Yeah. I agree. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and for being phenomenal. You. And thank you so much for having me on and celebrating me. And I'm just so glad that my book resonated. And I am just excited that you're excited. I'm honored to have produced this and all episodes of the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Clay Lake Tanay First Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with a colleague or friend. Doing so will help others find the podcast. Know someone who embraces the messy and would make a great guest on the pod? Email me at embracethemessypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.